0: I will call upon you to do a service for me. Play the Godfather, now at Champacasino.com. Welcome to the family.
1: VDW Group, no purchase necessary. where prohibited by law. See terms and conditions, 18 plus. Talk Recorded live. Good evening, we want to welcome you to the worship service of the Homerville Church of Christ. If you are listening to this in the archive, we'll be it in about three minutes. We are going to be looking at the idea of our bodies being the temple of the Holy Ghost from 1 Corinthians 6. I hope you find everything in accordance with the New Testament pattern. If you have any questions, please feel free to leave them in the chat box or on our Facebook page. Thanks for stopping in.
2: Lord, lift me up and let me stand my faith on heaven's faithful land. I'm higher praise than I have found. Lord, bless my Savior. there
0: Many blessings of this day. We thank you for the rain that you blessed us with. and We thank you for this opportunity that you blessed us with that we can assemble here again this evening to go through this works of service and to hear your, your word proclaimed to us once again. Pray to be with Brother Andrew this evening as he brings your word to us that he would have a recollection of those things that he has prepared, that we can take these things to heart, and we can be better Christians, and we can help lead others to you. Pray to be with those who are mentioned a few moments ago on our. That are battling cancer and various diseases and, and other ailments. We pray that you bless them, that they can receive the care that they need, that, that, that their health can be restored to them, if it be your will. We pray that you be with those of our number who are away from us, who are traveling, and who will be traveling. We pray that you would see them safely on their journey and see them back safely to us at the appointed time. We pray that you bless us now as we go through the remainder of this service here this evening pray that everything that we do here would all be done in a manner that would be in keeping with your will. In Christ's name we pray. Amen.
3: For the last in the evening, we'll sing in 412. 412.
2: Om George, if me,
1: Good to see each other this evening. I hope you're doing well. I said we're going to look at Job this evening, but I decided I didn't feel like doing that. And I wanted to take a break from that. We'll come to back come back to that in a couple of weeks, Lord willing. And uh, appreciate those of you who will be filling in. In the meantime, you might want to open your Bible to 1 Corinthians chapter 16, not 16, 6. 1 Corinthians chapter 6. A couple weeks ago, I was assigned the topic. Actually, before that, said it was assigned, but I was assigned the topic to speak on uh, the summer series that they have at St. Mary's, uh, being stewards of our bodies and our abilities. And I, that's they gave me that, and they gave me three verses, and they said, "Go to it." So I didn't really, they didn't give any idea exactly how they wanted me to go about this. They and so. I was left up to my own devices in in figuring out how to cover it, and in doing so, it was a very interesting study, and it's led me to want to do some more study in the book of 1 Corinthians, and it's interesting to see the way the various themes are interwoven and then little by little, here's this topic and here's that topic, but all throughout it, these ideas of being faithful to God and spiritually minded are found interwoven throughout the whole thing. And so in thinking about this, initially just the idea of stewardship. My mind left the passages that they gave and turned to Matthew 25. And we won't take the time to read that because that's not the point of the sermon this evening. But when you go back to Matthew 25, you read the parable of the talents. And you recall that the the, the owner gives the talents to the, the three men as they have the ability to handle them. And he gave to one the five talents, to another the two talents, and to one more the, the one talent. And he went on his journey, when he came back, he, he called them in to give an account of the things over which he had put them in authority. The five-talent man had, had increased to ten, the two-talent man had increased to four, and they were both rewarded. And then you remember, the one-talent man came and said, here's the one talent you gave me. I knew you were a hard man and that you sow where you didn't reap. And I was afraid, and so I buried it, and, and so here's what you gave me. And he made several accusations against the, the, his, uh, his boss, if you will, and uh, those accusations were unfounded. But those accusations in and of themselves, uh, he is told, should have motivated him to have done something. If you knew I was a hard man, why wouldn't you, why wouldn't you do something so you wouldn't have to face my wrath? And, and so because of his unfaithfulness and his stewardship over this one talent, the one that he had was taken away from him, given to the five-talent man, and he was cast out and punished. And so to begin with, as we think about this idea of being a steward, there are several things that are required in order for a stewardship to exist. There has to be somebody that has something. You don't have that. You don't have anything that, that can be put in trust in someone else. There has to be something that can be entrusted. In this case, it was the talent. There has to be someone with whom these things are entrusted, the three men. There has to be a period of time that they can exercise authority over that with which they've been entrusted. And then there has to be an accounting of how they've done during that time period. As we think about this idea of stewardship, and specifically tonight, thinking about stewardship of our bodies and our abilities, we come to 1 Corinthians chapter 6, and we notice these last couple of verses, and we're going to notice them, and then we're going to back up and kind of <clears throat> get a running start to them. But in 1 Corinthians six nineteen and 20, we're at the, Paul writes what? Know ye not that your body is the temple of the Holy Ghost which is in you, which ye have of God, and ye are not your own? For ye are bought with a price, therefore glorify your God, glorify God in your body, and in your spirit, which are God's. Now, there are some principles here that would apply in the way that people generally use these verses when they come up up in conversation. But if you've ever had a conversation where these two verses come up in the conversation, most likely, whoever was talking about them, whether it was you or someone else, and if it was you, I say this respectfully, most likely, those verses were snatched out of their context and applied to something that Paul's not really talking about here, even though the principles, you you really can get there, but you got to kind of stretch a little bit, because in the context, he's not talking about eating right, exercising, and and those kind of things that generally these verses get thrown at in conversation. And so just to keep that in mind, it's important to keep verses in their context, but in order to get a good understanding of what he's talking about here, let's go back to chapter 3 And notice where this general, the general idea that he spoke of there in 1 Corinthians 6 is found again. 1 Corinthians chapter 3, verses 16 and 17. It says, Know ye not that ye are the temple of God, and that the Spirit of God dwelleth in you? If any man defile the temple of God, him shall God destroy. For the temple of God is holy, which temple ye are. Now, as we think about this verse and the verses in 1 Corinthians 6, if I'm going to be a steward of my body and my abilities, the way that God would have me to be, then I've got to do two things we're going to talk about this evening. You may think of more, but in 1 Corinthians, what I was able to come up with, i got two. The first one is I've got to be aware of my situation. I've got to be aware of my situation in the fact that I or we are the temple of God. You'll recall Paul's writing to the church of Corinth, And in doing so, he says, ye are the temple of God. Now, notice, he says that you're the temple of God and the Spirit of God dwelleth in you. And we understand that as Christians, when we obey the gospel, that is, by faith it comes by hearing God's word, we are led to repent of our sins, to turn away from the things of this life, to live for the Lord. And at Acts 2.38, Peter told those who were present on the day of Pentecost to repent. We understand that leads us to confess the name of Christ. In Acts 8:37, we read of the Ethiopian eunuch making that good confession that Jesus is the Son of God, and in doing so, acknowledging his desire to be saved by him and to submit to his authority. And immediately he was baptized, and then he went on his way rejoicing after that. And when that takes place, according to Acts chapter 2 and verse 47, the Lord adds us to his church. We can't join it. We can't be voted in. The Lord puts us in His church upon our obedience to the gospel, and in, in this we have a spiritual institution. We mentioned this morning in First Peter chapter two that it's a a living spiritual building. He calls it a a, a build up a spiritual a, a spiritual house made of lively or living stones, and so. The Lord's temple today is a spiritual temple. It's not a physical building on the earth, but it's his people in whom he dwells. And we'll talk about that indwelling a little bit later. But notice he says, if any man defiles the temple of God, him shall God destroy. For the temple of God is holy, which temple ye are? It's interesting over and over again as you go through scripture. Yes, God wants us to be blessed, or sometimes we say happy instead of blessed. But the emphasis is not simply on me being happy. I get to do what I want to do, and, and, that, and God wants me to be happy. And that's usually how that conversation goes. But God wants us to be holy. He wants us called out or to answer the call to come out of the world and be in service to him. And in doing so, we can't do things our way any longer. We've got to submit to his authority, which has been revealed to us through the scriptures, what we must do in order to be pleasing to him to be his people, to to be saved from our sins, to worship, to exist in the organization of the church. All of these things are authorized through the scripture. And we understand we've got to do it his way or it's unacceptable. As we think about this situation, there's work involved in this situation. And as as I, I come to the realization that as a member of the Lord's body, the church, I've got to be mindful of my work. Now, this takes us back to verse 5 in chapter 3, 1 Corinthians 3 and verse 5. And being mindful of this work, he says, Who then is Paul and who is Apollos, but ministers by whom he believes, even as the Lord gave to every man? I've planted Apollos' water, but God gave the increase. So then neither is he that planteth anything, neither he that watereth, But God giveth the increase. Now he that planteth and and he that watereth are one, and every man shall receive his own reward according to his own labor. For we are laborers together with God, ye are God's husbandry, ye are God's building. Here he speaks of the spiritual nature of this work. He talks about planting and watering. He uses this agricultural illustration. And to go along with this idea... We'll just reference the tomatoes. They worked out good as illustrations before. We'll use them again tonight. While I was gone to Bible camp, I asked Brother Brian and I asked Brother Arnold, when you had opportunity, just kind of check on them, make sure they're, they're getting water and, and that nothing's happened to them that's going to mess them up. And, and I appreciate that, that watch, those watchful eyes and the help to make sure that, that that's the way it needs to be. And, and Lord willing, if it all works out, we'll have some tomatoes before long. we got some green ones growing right now. And so they helped me with that. A few weeks before that, I had gone to the store, and, and the Bonnie company, they had done the work in, in planting them and getting the seeds started, and I bought the plants. I got the dirt, and Ms. Everly helped me out with that. And I put it all together and did that work. They did that work while I was gone, and so there's been work going on. And in the meantime, I've got a sprinkler. It's doing some work, too. All of us were working together so that one day we'll be able to have tomatoes. Now, who's better than any than the others in that equation? Mm-hmm. Well, I'm not better than them. The plant company's not better than us. The sprinklers are playing just as much a role in this as anybody else, and they helped out too. We're all working together for the same goal, and that is ultimately to have some tomatoes on Sunday afternoon. I know some of y'all don't care anything about that. But for those of us that do, that's what we're working on. What's the point? Paul says, I planted Apollos water, but God gave the increase. Paul wasn't working in competition with Apollos or vice versa. They were working together, and they were working together with God so that these people could be saved from their sins and become mature Christians. They were working together for a spiritual goal. Oh, by the way, God put the life in the plant. None of us did that. It's he that gives the increase, even when we think about agriculture today. It's a spiritual work. And as we think about this spiritual work, we've got to keep in mind the idea of work. When I was planting those tomatoes, I sweated a little bit. When I woke up the next day, my arms were a little tired because they don't use a shovel every day. And so there's this work involved in growing something. And when we think about Christians, there's work involved in growing Christians and reaching out and spreading the gospel. And as we think about that work, we've got to keep in mind as a member of the Lord's body, I'm supposed to be involved in that work. And if you're a member of the Lord's body, you're supposed to be involved in that work. Now, have you ever been around a job site and... There's one one or two people there. Maybe they're not really sweating. They don't get tired like everybody else. It happens. They're keeping their pockets company. And they say, yeah, we need to do this or that. And it's not because they're in a position of authority. It's just they figured out where to stand so they don't have to use the shovel quite so much. When it comes to the Lord's work, let us strive to our best not to be that person because there's work for everyone. It may not be that you preach. It may not be that you serve as an elder. It may not be that you serve as a Bible class teacher, but there's work for you to do, and it's a spiritual work. And it's important to keep in mind the spiritual nature of this work. Sometimes people come by and they say, well, we need some help, and certainly we should help them. If we have the ability and we can see that it's a reasonable request, we have the means to help out, We should help. We've got to be good stewards of what God has blessed us with. But at the same time, we've got to keep in mind we're not here to feed everybody. That's not the reason the Lord instituted the church. It's a spiritual institution for the salvation of souls. And so we we do these things. We help people with their physical needs in hopes of reaching them to help them with their spiritual needs. That has to be the ultimate goal because it's a spiritual work. God gave the increase. But in the next place, not only is it a spiritual work, it's also an eternal work. In verse 10, there in chapter 3, it says, According to the grace of God, which is given unto me, as a wise master builder, I have laid the foundation, and another buildeth thereon. But let every man take heed how he buildeth thereupon. For other foundation can no man lay than that is laid, which is Jesus Christ. Now, if any man build upon this foundation gold, silver, precious stones, wood, hay, or stubble, every man's work shall be made manifest, for the day shall declare it, because it shall be revealed by fire, and the fire shall try every man's work of what sort it is. If any man's work abide, which he hath built thereupon, he shall receive a reward. If any man's work shall be burned, he shall suffer loss, but he himself shall be saved, yet so as by fire. And then he goes on into what we've been talking about. Now, there's been some, some problems that have come from these verses, that, and we've got to keep in mind what he's talking about. He's talking about those who, as he has done, have been building these spiritual buildings. Now, there's two ways to look at this spiritual building. There's the church and how we're all come to, we all come together as lively or living stones, but then each one of us has a spiritual house. We're building our spiritual house as we study God's Word and we apply it to our lives. And he says that as, as as one who's a master builder, speaking of himself, how he's built upon the foundation and then another builds thereupon. he says every man, uh, he, speaks, well, he speaks of those who would build with these various, Building materials: gold, silver, precious stones, wood, hands, double. Now, obviously, the, uh, the gold, silver, precious stones; those are going to be the better building materials. And we've seen you've seen pictures and and maybe television shows where people who uh, have lots of money, more money than it seems like they know what to do with. Maybe they've got gold faucets and fixtures all throughout their house, move, and it looks nice, but I don't figure I'll ever have that in my house. But you have these folks who says in these spiritual buildings, they're building with these precious materials. Then you have these other folks, and they're going to be building with these lesser materials, wood, hay, and stone. And every man's work is going to be put to the test. That is, it's going to be tried by fire. Obviously, which ones are going to last? The gold, silver, and precious stones. The others will be burned up. Now, you think about Paul as he would labor spreading the gospel. He would go and he would teach people, and he would start with the foundation of Christ and then continue to build, and then then others would continue to build in each of those individual Christians. Paul has no control over whether or not those individuals are truly converted. He has no control over how they continue to build after he moves on. But one day he would be able to see the results. And if they had built with good materials and if they had built the way they needed to spiritually, then their spiritual house would, would continue. That is, they would be rewarded in eternity by going to heaven. On the other hand, if they had not used those, those, those uh, good building materials, the, the, the more su- superior building materials, it's not going to last. If they become unfaithful, if they turn away, or, or what, whatever the case is that causes them to turn away from, from Christ, they're going to lose their soul because they were not saved. However, he says, if any man's work shall be burned, he shall suffer loss, but he himself shall be saved, yet so as by fire. Because the the way this works is Paul's not going to lose his soul because someone he taught loses their soul. He'll suffer loss. It'll be a tragedy because the soul has been condemned to hell. But Paul has followed the command given to him to spread the gospel. And he's been faithful to God. He's not going to lose his soul, even though he will have lost one of those that he had worked with. And for you and me today, as we think about the spiritual work, we've got to keep in mind the eternal nature of it. We're not just dealing with things of the here and now. We're dealing with things of the there and then. And as we think about our efforts to reach those who are lost, we've got to keep in mind just how important it really is because their souls are at stake. And yet, it's still up to them to make the changes and to do what's needed. And so it's a spiritual work, and it's an eternal work. And so as a a member of the temple of God, the church, I've got to be mindful of my work, Then in the next place, I've got to be spiritually minded. Now this takes us back to chapter 2. In 1 Corinthians chapter 2, beginning in verse 12, alright, now we have received not the spirit of the world, but the spirit spirit which is of God, that we might know the things that are freely given to us of God, which things also we speak, not in words which man's wisdom teaches, but which the Holy Ghost teaches, comparing spiritual things with spiritual. But the natural man receiveth not the things of the Spirit of God, for they are foolishness unto him. Neither can he know them, because they are spiritually discerned. But he that is spiritual judgeth all things, yet he himself judges, is, is, not, is judged of no man. For who has known the mind of the Lord, that he may instruct him? But we have the mind of Christ. Here he lays, lays two kinds of individuals side by side, the natural man and the spiritual man. The natural man is one who looks to, to discern the things of this world by themselves simply by seeing the, the way they are and trying to come to the conclusions by the only things that are of this world. The, the results of this, he says, first of all, are foolishness. Verse 14... Notice he says, "For they are foolishness unto him, neither can he, know, can he know them because they are spiritually discerned." His foolishness is that the spiritual things, they're of no use. And the end result is that he the things that he comes to, the conclusions he reaches, are useless. You go back to uh, go on into chapter three verses 19 and 20, or 19 through 21, notice the result. Let no man deceive himself. If any man among you seemeth to be wise in this world, let him become a fool that he may be wise. Come back to that in a second. For the wisdom of this world is foolishness with God. For it is written, He taketh the wise in their own craftiness. And again, The Lord knoweth the thoughts of the wise that they are vain. Therefore let no man glory in men. Their foolishness, and because their end, is vain. It, in, it's infinite. When you think about the results of worldly thinking and you think about what we're told true science which is not true science, but what we're told true science says there's no room for the Bible. True science says that God cannot exist. That's not true science. True science follows the evidence as um, well the CSI people on the television shows follow the evidence. True science follows the evidence, and as we do that and we consider all of the evidence, we find that these, these claims are not true. They're, they cannot be substantiated, and it results in, in vanity. Why is it that we're having the discussions we're having today? Why is it that we're having to explain that a, an unborn baby actually is a person? Because instead of listening to God, man has tried to figure it out on his own. Why are we having the, the problems we're having today? Because man has tried to figure it out. And notice the failures of this kind of thinking. Back in the beginning of chapter 3, it says, My brethren could not speak unto you as spiritual, but as unto carnal, even as unto babes in Christ. I fed you with milk and not with meat, for hitherto you were not able to bear it. Neither yet are you, now are you able. For ye are yet carnal, for whereas there is, whereas there is among you envying and strife, divisions, are you not, carnal and walk with men? For while one says, I am of Paul, and another, I am of Apollos, are you not, carnal? Here we have the Lord's people who have adopted this mindset of, I'm going to look at it from, from what I can see instead of what God has revealed to me. And the end result was strife and division and more problems that should not have existed. Paul says, I have to write to you like your baby. That's the natural man. That's the I'm going to figure it out on my own. But let's look at the spiritual man now. Again in verse 14 he says, or 15 he says, But he that is spiritual judgeth all things, yet he himself is judged of no man. The spiritual minded man or woman listens to what God says and, and is able to give an accurate accounting of the value. A spiritually minded person recognizes that the things of this world are only temporary. The power, the wealth, and prestige that can be accumulated will not last. And therefore, the spiritually minded person will put an emphasis on those things that are of God and will be judged of no man. No one can make those accusations. No one can can, um, hold him accountable because he recognizes he's accountable to God and not to man. He says we have the mind of Christ. And so the spiritually minded man, again, there's foolishness associated with him. First Corinthians chapter 3 and verse 18, let no man deceive himself. If any man among you seems to be wise in this world, let him become a fool that he may be wise. Now the, the, the natural man says, well, You Christians, you just have your Bible as a crutch. You Christians, you pray to God, but he can't do anything for you because he doesn't exist. That's what we're told. But here Paul says if you want to be wise, you've got to become foolish in the eyes of the world. And in doing so, we we open up and have access to the wisdom of God. He goes on in verse 21, says, Therefore let no man glory in men for all things are yours, whether Paul or Apollos or Cephas, the world, life, death, things present, things things to come, all are yours, and ye are Christ, and Christ, and Christ is God. When we think about this, we find that not only will is there is the, the spiritual spiritual man have foolishness in the eyes of the world, but the spiritual man also has access to a fortune. Now, it's not a fortune of gold. But notice that he says, all things are yours. And he talks about the things that Paul had done, Apollos and Cephas, and he he speaks of all the things that really they had access to in their daily lives. They would recognize being spiritually minded people, those who were or who would be, would be able to recognize the true value of the things of this life, but also the things that had been revealed to them by their teachers, to whom they were holding so dearly. And you may have been taught by Paul, and I may have been taught by Apollos, but we have access to all the blessings that that they all have to offer because they all come to us from God. And in obeying the gospel, we become Christians. We belong to Christ. And in being Christ, we belong to God because he sent Jesus to die on the cross. And Jesus was in submission, complete submission to the Father, and in following Jesus, then we're also going to be in complete submission to him as well. And so there's a fortune. And we are able to recognize as we learn more of the will of God, what truly is valuable, and we're able to enjoy the blessings to their fullest extent by following God and recognizing and being spiritually minded individuals. And so if I'm going to be a steward of my body and my abilities, The first thing we learn here is that we are the temple of God. That is the church is the temple of God, and we are members of that church. And as members of that church, there's work for us to be involved in. It's a spiritual and eternal work, and we must be spiritually minded. We must focus on the things that are spiritual instead of those things that are physical. We deal in those things, but we focus on the spiritual. And again, we turn back to that verse, the the verse there, chapter 3 and verse 17, where Paul tells the the Corinthian Christians, if any man defile the temple of God, him shall God destroy for the temple of God is holy, which temple ye are? It is important for us to do it God's way. If we fail in that, we will fail ourselves and others. But in the next place, coming back to 1 Corinthians chapter 6, not only is the church the temple of God, but Paul says that my body is the temple of God. In verse, verse 19 of chapter 6, he says, What, know ye not that your body is the temple of the Holy Ghost which is in you, which ye have of God, and ye are not your own? As so we think about this, first of all, the idea that my body is the temple of the Holy Ghost. Again, in the context, Paul isn't saying go out and run three miles and start eating salads. He's talking about spiritual things. Should we take care of our bodies? Yes, we should. But the focus here is taking care of ourselves our spiritually and the fellowship that we have and the connection that it has with our bodies. And so thinking about this, my body being the temple of the Holy Ghost, the first thing I've got to realize is I'm possessed. Now, not like we you think about. I'm not doing things contrary to my will, and neither are you. No one else is. But we're possessed. Notice he says, Ye are not your own You're not your own But now wait a second I'm an American citizen Nobody tells me what to do I have freedom I have rights That's not what Paul says He says I As we sing in the camp songs I am mine No more You and I decided we wanted to become Christians. We said, I'm not the one in charge anymore. I'm going to submit to the authority of Jesus that has been given to him by God. I belong to him. I am mine no more. Ownership belongs to him. His name's on the paperwork. And not only is there this matter of possession, but also the matter of operation, he says, that the Holy Ghost, which is in you, we're the temple of the Holy Ghost, which he says is in you. Now, to get a better understanding of this, you might want to hold your thumb there and turn to Ephesians chapter 5, verses 18 and 19. Ephesians 5, verses 18 and 19. Here we're told, And be not drunk with wine where it is excess, but be filled with the Spirit, speaking to yourselves in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making melody." In your heart to the Lord. Now notice he says, don't be filled with wine, but be filled with the Spirit. Now, let's look at the parallel in Colossians chapter 3 and verse 16. He says, let the word of Christ dwell in you richly in all wisdom, teaching and admonishing one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing, and making, or singing with grace in your hearts to the Lord. How is it that the Holy Spirit dwells within the Christian? we're told that he does so by the word. And in Romans chapter 8, we're told that when we take his word and we lay lay it aside the way we live our lives and we compare the two, we're able to know whether or not we're being led by God in our lives. So the Holy Spirit dwells in us in so much as the word dwells in us, which means I've got to read and study God's word so that I can know what the Spirit has revealed and benefit from those instructions that have been given to us by God. He has ownership and operation, but he only operates in so much as I submit to his will. And I have the freedom of choice. And so recognizing this, I shouldn't work against what he's trying to do in my life. I should submit, I should study, and I should be active in his work following the instructions that have been revealed. I am possessed. I belong to the Lord. But not only does he say that we're possessed, he goes on to say that we've been purchased. Verse 20, he says, for you are bought with a price. Therefore glorify God in your body and in your spirit, which are God. Now if we go back and notice this this uh, purchase price, verses 9 through 11, he tells them in First uh, Corinthians 6, verses 9 through 11, Know ye not that the unrighteous shall not inherit the kingdom of God? Be not deceived, neither fornicators, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor offenders, nor abusers of themselves with mankind, nor thieves, nor covetous, nor drunkards, nor revilers, nor sorcerers shall inherit the kingdom of God, and such were some of you. But ye are washed, but ye are sanctified, but ye are justified in the name of the Lord Jesus and by the Spirit of our God. How was it that these Corinthian Christians had been cleaned up? He said that they had done this in, in the name of the Lord Jesus by his authority and by the Spirit of our God. What did the Holy Spirit tell the Corinthian Christians to do? Repent of their sins, confess the name of Christ, and be baptized so that the blood of Jesus could wash away their sins. In the book of Romans, Paul lays Jesus' death and our obedience to the gospel side by side. We bury that old man of sin who has died just as Jesus died and was buried. We contact the blood he shed in his death, John 19:34, having our sins cleansed by the operation of God and, and arise to walk in the of life. There's nothing special about the water. It doesn't matter where it came from. It doesn't matter how clean or how dirty it is. As long as we're able to be buried in, in that water, and arise and walk in newness of life. The Lord has said our sins are washed away, and he adds us to the church, and that's exactly what they had done by the authority and instructions of God, their coroner. And so the purchase price is the blood of Jesus. But also notice not only the price, but also the purpose of this. In, verse, in verses, uh, well, there in verse 20 says, therefore glorify God in your body and in your spirit. Now, if you go back in verse 13, he starts making an argument. And he speaks, uh, he says, Meats for the bellies and bellies for the meat, but God should destroy both it and them. Now, uh, the body is not for fornication, but, the, but for the Lord, and the Lord for the body. And God has ra- both raised up the Lord and will also raise up us by his own power. Know ye not that your bodies are, mem- are members of Christ? Shall I then take the members of Christ and make them members of an harlot? God forbid. His point here is this. The, the, the argument was could be made and possibly was being made. God made our, us have an appetite and he made food to fulfill those appetites. Therefore, there are other desires, uh, sexual desires. God made those and therefore, to partake of these things over here, commit fornication with it, Meat for the belly and the belly for the meat. So one was created for the other. And he says, God forbid. Because there's nothing sinful about eating food. God made, that's, that's, the, that's the way God made that for us to take care of those desires, those needs. However, when it comes to the, the sexual desires, God has given instructions and commands on how those are to be fulfilled. Fornication is never okay. It is always a sin. The two do not parallel. And so for them to use this same argument so that they could go to the temple to the temple priestesses and participate in their immorality was unacceptable. But it would join them not only physically but also spiritually to the sinful behavior. Verse 16, What well, may you not that, that he which is joined to a harlot is one body? For two, says he, shall be one flesh. Now he's not saying that someone who would participate in this would become married to a harlot, but the idea that they're joined together, they become one. But he that is joined unto the Lord is one spirit. And so here we have those who would participate in this for, in fornication, and we have those who are joined to the Lord. Both are united with the one to whom they join. And he says you can't join with both. Flee fornication. Every sin that a man doeth is without the body, but he that committeth fornication sinneth against his own body. And then he asks the question and tells them, don't you know that your body is the temple of the Holy Ghost? The purpose is for us to glorify God. The only way for us to do that is to be joined to Christ. Now while he may be using specifics that were going on in Corinth, we could say today to join in any sin is to join with someone other than Christ, which spiritually would be fornication. We cannot join to to those things. We've been joined to Christ in our obedience to the gospel. And in doing so, we are no longer ours. We're his. And the Holy Spirit dwells in us as we follow him through the word We learn his word. And so if I'm going to be a steward of my body and my abilities then, I've got to maintain that connection with Christ and operate my body and use my abilities in those things that are acceptable to him, those things that are pleasing to him. That automatically takes away all sinful behavior as being okay. And that takes those things that in and of themselves aren't bad, but if they would keep me from serving him, that pushes those away too. Because I'm mine no
3: more. You remember the parable
1: of the the talents? They were entrusted with these things according to their ability, and they were called to give an account. One day you and I are going to be called called on to give an account over the other things which God has blessed us with. I would say in the scheme of things, our bodies and our abilities would be at the top of that list. I mean, money and time and all those things are there, but if my body's not here, I don't get to do anything with those other things. We're going to have to give an account as to how we have lived our lives. And here in 1 Corinthians 6, we're taught that we have to do so in submission and subjection to the Lord. This evening, if you find that you've not become a Christian, you're not part of that temple of God, the church. You can be. Through obedience to the gospel, we've talked about the plan of salvation several times, faith, repentance, confession, and baptism. And the Lord adds you to his church, his temple. As a member of that temple, there's work to do, and it must be kept holy. And we must do things his way. But then as a Christian... Your body is also the temple of the Holy Ghost. And you've got to be mindful, just as we would with the church, of making sure that our bodies are doing and, 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 and are, are, are what they need to be. As far as we're not joining ourselves to those things that are sinful, but we're focused on those things that are spiritual and bringing glory to God in the things that we do with the body with, 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 with which we've been blessed. And as a Christian, if you find that your body has been joined to things it ought not to be joined with, that there's sin in your life and you need to repent, we plead with you, the Lord pleads with you to repent, to come back, ask for forgiveness. a no matter of the public in nature will pray with him for you. You need to respond the Lord's invitation. Please come. As we stand in sing. <laughs>